In episode 430 with Amy Taylor-Cabaz, we talk all about matrescence and the identity shift of motherhood, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Guess what, my beautiful friend? My fourth book, Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy is out right now. Number one, New York Times bestselling author and social media sensation Jay Shetty said, never before has a book been more needed. Future generations will thank Melissa for shining a spotlight on comparisonitis. And multiple New York Times bestselling author Gabby Bernstein said, since Melissa refers to people who have recovered from comparisonitis as unicorns, I suppose that makes this a sort of unicorn training manual. I'm so grateful that such a manual has arrived. It's been infinitely helpful to me. Head to comparisonitis.com or Amazon to get your copy today. Hey, beautiful. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited that you've decided to join me for another episode. And I'm very excited about this topic because we speak about something that I haven't spoken about on the show before, and that is matrescence, which is what a woman experiences when they give birth. So we dive deep into matrescence, navigating the identity shift once we give birth and so much more. And for those of you that have never heard of Amy Taylor Cabaz, she is a best-selling author, speaker, journalist, matrescence activist, and mama of three. And after more than a decade of covering breaking news and current affairs for the ABC, her traditional career took an unexpected turn when she found herself lost, overwhelmed, and diagnosed with a thyroid condition after the birth of her first daughter. 14 years later and two more babies, she is now the best-selling author of Mama Rising, the host of the Happy Mama Movement podcast with more than 400,000 downloads, runs numerous online programs for mothers all over the world, is an international award-winning coach, expert contributor to media outlets around the world, and the creator of the number one iTunes meditations for children with more than 12 million downloads, Bedtime Explorers. In 2019, she launched her world-first matrescence facilitator training, Mama Rising, sharing her unique formula of coaching and support into mother's transition through matrescence, and now has more than 100 accredited Mama Rising facilitators all around the world. This conversation is so beautiful. It's powerful. It really touched my heart. I had goosebumps almost the entire conversation. It is such an important topic that we all need to become aware of and talk about. So let's dive right on in. Beautiful Amy, I'm so excited to have you here today. But before we dive in, Can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? 
I had what I have every single morning, which is a very quick and simple smoothie of banana, avocado, coconut water, and a couple of different powders. And then once all my kids are delivered to where they need to be, I then come home and make myself eggs. So I have two breakfasts every day. Oh, (laughs) amazing. Why not? Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, I have to say. (laughs) It's so good. And you have three kids, is that right? I do, yes. They are 14, which I cannot believe because she's just turned 14 on Monday, 14, 12, and 8. Wow, holy moly. Well, I was thinking about how we first met when I was preparing for this conversation. And I was like, when did we meet? We met so long ago. It was actually in 2013. You interviewed me for a magazine because you used to be a journalist, a very amazing journalist. And you interviewed me for a magazine that you were writing for at the time. And since then, we have stayed friends. You studied at Beautiful You and I was one of the coaches there. So we have been friends for a really, really long time. And I'm so excited to chat about Matrescence and your work. But can you tell us first, how you got into this work? How did this unfold for you? Yes. So as you said, I used to be a journalist. I was a journalist at the ABC for 15 years in the end, mostly in radio all over the country. And I also had, I guess, a bit of a side hustle, as you would call it, writing for magazines. And it was a very self-indulgent side hustle. It was basically my chance to talk to the women around the world that I admired and I wanted to learn from. So I would reach out to my favorite magazines and say, hey, there's this amazing person called Melissa Ambrosini and this is what she's doing. Can I interview her for you? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And they'd pay me to go and talk to all of the amazing people, including I had the great privilege of interviewing Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer, and I just, Deepak Chopra, I had so many amazing experiences just because that's what I most wanted to do, even though I was the very serious ABC journalist. And that was my life. Journalism was my identity. It's who I knew I was. I decided when I was very little, like seven, eight years old, probably the age of my son, that I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to tell stories of women around the world. I had an image in my mind of living in New York and publishing books and going frontline in war zones. And my whole life had been geared towards being this journalist, this writer. And then along came motherhood, very planned, very beautiful pregnancy. The birth was not so straightforward. And when my daughter was born 14 years ago, she was quite unwell at birth. She was born with something called severe congenital torticollis, which basically means she was so squished inside of me that her neck and her jaw muscles and her jaw bone weren't developed. So when she was born, she couldn't turn her head at all. Other parts of her body were also squished and she needed a lot of physiotherapy, but that wasn't diagnosed for three days. Now, you would know now, Melissa, those first three days, you are trying to just get your head around what just happened. And as I said, her birth was quite traumatic. And you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed and how to do all the things. And I had this baby who was undiagnosed, very, very unhappy and in a lot of pain. And by the time we got to day three, she had severe breast rejection, is what they named it, on her medical record. 
And I was a mess. I was at the bottom of the shower in the hospital room, just broken and honestly felt like I had failed. And it was the first time in my life that I had experienced that feeling. Not because I hadn't failed before. Of course I had. We all have. But in every other experience of my life, I could push my way through. I could interview somebody. I could figure this out. I could find a way to pick myself up and keep on going. And within three days of motherhood, I had just felt like I don't know who I am anymore. And so began this 14-year experience of asking the question, what happens to us as women when we become a mother? Not how do we mother? How do we feed? How do we recover? How do we get them to sleep? How do What solids do we introduce? Not all of the act of mothering, but the experience of mother. Because what I realized over those coming months and then years was that identity I had of being that journalist, that writer, that person who could interview Louise Hay and go frontline in a war zone if she wanted to, that person wasn't who I was anymore. And that was the hardest thing ever because that was my whole sense of self. And I thought that that's who I was always going to be. And because when I looked around and tried to understand why do I feel this way, no one was talking about it, I just swallowed everything I was feeling and went back to thinking I have to be who I've always been. So I returned to the ABC and I returned to doing all the things that I used to do and just tried to fit motherhood in as well. And this is what so many of us do. We think we just need to be who we've always been plus this amazing mother. And I was like that for many years when we met, still trying to answer these questions. By that stage, I had a blog and a podcast and was writing for magazines, but could still never answer that core question of who am I now? Why does this feel so different? How do I do this? Until four years ago now, by this stage, I was a coach. I'd coached hundreds and hundreds of women around motherhood. I was a meditation teacher, a yoga teacher, all of it. But I still felt like there was this piece that was missing that explained my experience and the experience of the thousands of other mothers that I'd spoken to. And about four years ago, I was driving around Sydney, dropping kids off and picking them up and doing all the things and listening to a podcast in the car as we do. And I heard an interview. And I heard this word that had such a profound impact on me. It still makes my voice shake. It had such a profound impact on me that I had to pull over on the side of the road and sob because for 10 years I'd been trying to understand what had happened. And that word was matrescence. And it not only brought the tears of recognition and relief for myself, but also by that stage I knew that this was the common experience for so many of us and none of us had the right word. And this word changed everything. And since then, I've been gifted the opportunity to study with the world's best on this and now share it with my community and training others to do the same. It's changed everything for me. Babe, I have full body goosebumps because what you are talking about, I can relate so deeply, especially I've just been through it. I've just given birth to my first child. So full body goosebumps. Tell us. And when I first heard that word as well, 
the same thing happened to me. There was just a deep acknowledgement from within. And at the time when I first heard it, I hadn't given birth. This was years ago as well. And I thought, "Mm, this explains everything. And now having been through it, it perfectly sums up what you have just experienced. So for those that are listening that have never heard of matrescence, what is it? Matrescence is an anthropological term that describes the transition a woman goes through as she becomes a mother. And thanks to the work of my teacher and mentor, Dr. Orly Athen, the best way to describe this is to compare it to adolescence. So it actually wasn't that long ago we didn't know what adolescence was. It was a term that before this time, there was this opinion that children kind of went a bit mad on the way to becoming an adult. We didn't understand the brain changes, the hormonal changes. We didn't understand that they actually need more sleep than their younger counterparts. We didn't understand their rebellion was part of the process. This has now been studied and understood so well that we have departments of adolescence. We have a whole education system built around understanding this period of transition. Matrescence is the same. We just haven't got the research and the study into it yet. But similarly, it is brain changes, hormonal changes, physical changes, of course. But it's also a questioning of our identity, just as adolescents do. It's pushing back on the rules. It's questioning, who am I? Is this really who I want to be? It comes all the way down to changing our appearance, to questioning our relationships, of feeling so uncertain of who we are in the world, just like adolescence does, and they feel at the time. And so my teacher, Dr. Orly Athen at Columbia University says, words create worlds. And I love that so much because the reason why we all get goosebumps and tears when we hear matrescence is because we have been in a world that had no words. We couldn't talk about it. We couldn't explain it. We couldn't understand it. And when we finally get an understanding of this, we realize it's not our fault. We're not going crazy. We're not failing. There isn't anything wrong with us. This is actually how it's meant to be. And no matter who you are, in the world, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, if you are experiencing becoming a mother or a parent, you are going through matrescence. And that is groundbreaking. Mm. And does it end? Is there a point where matrescence is over? Because we are such at the beginning of this area of understanding, The answer to that question at the moment, not just for my answer, but again, the experts I'm working with around the world who are deep in research around this is no, we don't think there is an ending. If you asked my mum, she would say she's still going through some element of matrescence. However, having worked in this field now for 14 years of speaking to mums, as well as all of the research I've done, I think there's something incredibly important and powerful about those first seven years. And that means that if you have a number of children, it's the seven years of your last child. So when your final child reaches seven, there is a, it's almost like a space to inhale. You kind of go, okay, that's it. And it's not not it at all. It's never it. But they're kind of out of my sphere 
just enough for me to catch my breath and say, okay, what about me now? But until that period where they're kind of settled in school and all of those early developmental struggles and everything are passed, we are so deep in this process of trying to figure out how to do it. So when I talk about matrescence, I like to focus on that first seven years. And in, may I add, in the conversations around the world around postnatal care at the moment, which is so exciting, it's changing so much. Matrescence is often linked to that postpartum period, almost like a fourth trimester conversation. And I think for anyone listening, it's really important to know that that's not the case. Because again, if we start thinking that matrescence is something that you're done by the time your baby's one, then again, we're putting this pressure on women to figure out who they are now by the time they're reaching that first birthday. And it doesn't work like that. It's constant. It's this constant, I don't let, who am I within this experience and how do I honor that? And that seven years is also really important for the growth of the child too. You know, that is their foundation. That is where all of their neural pathways are being built and programmed and they're really coming into themselves and they're coming out of the ethereal body and into the physical body. It's like almost like their feet have firmly planted. So both for the mother and for the child, that first seven years is so foundational and important. So that's really, really interesting. And science now does show us that when a woman gives birth, the brain changes. You know, that whole quote unquote mum brain thing is actually a thing. And what happens in those years after, our brain becomes so malleable that you can actually reprogram thoughts and limiting beliefs. So it's really exciting. And I know some people might be thinking, but I don't know who I am and where do I fit in the world and what is my identity? And let's also flip it and go, how exciting that I can reprogram my brain. Exactly. The brain is experiencing as many changes as adolescence and in the first few days of life. After birth, our brain is changing as much as those other two key periods of transformation in our life. Like, Think about that for a moment. It is profound. Research shows that if you have a scan of a woman's brain who has not had a child yet and a new mother without any other details, they can tell you which brain has had a child and which hasn't by a scan. It is that black and white, how quickly and profound our brain changes. And, you know, there's a lot of neurological things that I could share here, but the one that I love the most in understanding what this does to us is that our brains are reprogrammed to start thinking about the world as a whole. So the easiest way to understand it is we go from thinking about me to we. And again, it's been proven, scientifically proven, that a woman's brain after giving birth will stop thinking about herself, instead start thinking about her child's place in the world. So that's why I love this so much because when you tell this to women, they're like, oh, that's why I now cry in all the ads. Or when I see a news story about refugee mothers, suddenly I'm like ringing a hotline at 2am and donating my money because I just can't handle that there's a mother out there who's in struggle. And we kind of laugh about this. We think it's, you know, we dismiss it as teary new mum syndrome. No. What I love about matrescence 
if we can make this as mainstream and understood as adolescents, is we can start seeing mothers and their compassion and commitment to making the world a better place for their children, we could harness this instead of mocking it and laughing at it and making her feel silly for now being teary at work when someone is having a problem. And suddenly you used to be this kick-ass boss and CEO or someone like this who would just be like, I don't care, I'm in there, I'm getting my tasks done. And now suddenly you really question, I don't know if this job is for me anymore because I don't know what impact I'm having or what legacy I'm leaving. I'm not sure I believe in the values of what I do anymore. All of these things that we experience post-birth and post-motherhood, we hide because we think it's too emotional too feminine, you know, we need to be who we used to be. If we could change that and instead when a woman returns to work after giving birth, we sat her down and said, welcome back. I'd love to hear how you feel about your work. What contribution would you like to make now? You know, see if she'd like to be included in conversations around the environmental impact of the company or other things. If we could tap into her new superpower, it would be phenomenal. But instead we say to her, welcome back, as if she'd been on a year-long holiday. Do you remember your password? Your first meeting's at 10. See you then. Like we don't check in with her because we don't understand she is a different person. You have not got the same person back at the end of maternity leave. And we are not honoring that in our corporations and in our workplaces at all. Definitely not. Imagine if we did. Hey, imagine. imagine if we did. Oh my goodness. And there's a lot of language that we need to become aware of as well. This whole like getting my life back and getting me back. There's no going back. Once you birth a baby, there is no going back, only forward into a more expansive version of yourself. And that is so exciting. So, you know, when people say to me, Oh, do you feel like you've got your life back? And I'm like, I don't even use those words. My life has been enriched in ways that I never imagined for myself. And I'm so glad there is people like you out there waving this flag of matrescence right now, because if there wasn't, I possibly could have mistaken the times since Bambi has been born where I have been crying and overwhelmed and anxious and feeling like a failure. I could have mistaken them for postnatal depression or any other label, postnatal anxiety, whatever. But Nick will come to me, I'll be crying for seemingly absolutely no reason. And he'll say, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I will just say to him, it's just matrescence. Not it's just, but it's matrescence. And he'll be like, I got you, babe. You know, And we've had that language since she's been born. And he just he just looks at me and goes, yep, cool. Like you're doing an amazing job, babe. And you're not a failure and you're an incredible mom. And I'm so glad that I have that knowledge and that wording because it's, and for my relationship as well. And that's it. This word, this language, this framework, not only could empower workplaces as we just spoke about, but relationships. And the way that she understands and can talk about how she's feeling. You know, I like to describe it as when we give birth, we experience this inner split. We are who we used to be. And at the same time, we are now this completely new person called the mother. And 
if we don't understand that, we feel that split within us over and over again. You know, when we're working, we feel guilty we're not at home with our baby. When we're with our children and not doing what we need to do for that deadline or for work, we feel guilty about that. We feel completely pulled in these two directions because we are split into trying to be who we used to be and now this new person. Matrescence, the understanding of this, allows us to come back together, but as a whole new person. And as you've said a couple of times, I'd love to pick this up. I like to describe matrescence as a spiritual awakening, an opportunity to really look at those beliefs, those actions, those behaviors, the things that you thought were important, all the things that you put up on that pedestal that you burnt yourself out over, all of it, you get a chance to redefine them now and say, is that really who I want to be? Is this what I want my life to be about? What is the most important thing? But if we don't have the space or the tools to know they're the questions we should be asking or to say, as you and Nick are able to do, it's just matrescence, this is what I'm feeling, and have that as a normal conversation, then we won't understand that inner split. We'll go back to who we used to be. We think we need to return to that person we were. And we would never miss the opportunity for spiritual awakening because I think it happens whether you're willing or not. It kind of slam dunks you in it. (laughs) If you don't have the right words, you'll be pushed into it anyway. But it makes that transformation has a softer landing rather than this very traumatic grieving process that a lot of women experience, Melissa, because they don't know they aren't who they used to be and they will never be the same again, but that's okay. 100%. It's like matrescence is a cleaning out of every area of your life, your work. It gets you to kind of look at your work. Does this still light me up? Is this inspiring for me? Then it gets you to look at your relationships because as we all know, when you become a mother, and I've really experienced this a lot recently, that feeling of spreading quite thin with relationships. And since becoming a mother, I've really wanted to hone in and go, okay, who can I really give a lot to right now? And where can I pull back some of my energy because I need that energy for myself to fill myself up. So I feel like matrescence is a beautiful opportunity to clear out, clean out every area of your life, get rid of what is no longer serving you. Because like you said, we go from I to we, and you have another whole entire human being to take care of and to think about. And you said before that we go from this I to we, and we stop thinking about ourselves. However, this is a time where we need to up our self-care and self-love like no tomorrow. So how can we make sure that our self-care and our self-love practices are still at the top of our to-do list with taking care of our newborn? It's again an acknowledgement that it's never going to look the way it used to. I'm sure you would have such beautiful examples of how these deep, sometimes day-long self-care practices, you know, long meditations, all of the beautiful things we used to be able to do before babies came along. And now I remember for me, it started with a three-minute meditation once a day. That's all I could manage. 
was a three-minute meditation. But back when I didn't understand any of this, I would criticize myself for that, judge myself for it. Why can't I do what I used to be able to do? I used to get incredibly resentful that there was no time or space for me. It's almost as if I pushed up against the reality of being a mother for many years because I was still trying to do all the things I used to be able to do. I was still trying to be that Amy as well as being the best mum I could be. And so again, there's that split. There's that pull within me of, I want to be with you all the time, my beautiful child. You have consumed me. My brain has completely rewired to think about you and what your world is. And yet, at the same time, there's a part of me that thinks, oh my God, where have I gone? And is this what it's going to be like? And how do I do this? And so it wasn't until I actually wrote myself a letter many, many, many years ago as I was working through all of this. And I wrote myself a letter to the pre-motherhood Amy, and really just gave her permission to go, to really grieve the ending of that period of my life because I loved who I was in many ways. That was an incredibly powerful and important part of my evolution. And I kind of wanted to drag her along with me and she couldn't come with me. I had to let that go. And when I was able to do that, and this is now what I do with mamas around the world, it was this releasing. And then I could say, okay, so which parts of that do I want to bring with me? Which parts do I want to let go of? How does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And therefore, when I did that, self-care really started to turn into the way I spoke to myself and how I forgave myself for not being the perfect mum day in, day out. Self-care for me now is this deep, 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 daily, hourly, minute-by-minute practice of forgiving myself for being in matrescence, basically. And the interesting thing is, is that traditionally, this rite of passage would have been explained to us. We would have gathered when we found out we were pregnant with the elders And we would have sat in a red tent or around a fire or done something. And we would have been told that this is the end of one life and the beginning of another. We would have been allowed to grieve and cry and say goodbye to ourselves as we meet our new self. Like all of this would have been there. And that's what this is an invitation for. It's inviting us to bring back those ideas of rituals, of rites of passage, of sitting with each other and learning from each other and marking the changes in our life. As women, these are the changes we go through when we get our period, when we have babies, when we enter menopause. These are these moments where we're meant to acknowledge that season of my life is done. I'm moving into the next. Mm, Babe, yes. It's almost like Yes, when we have a baby, it's all consuming. And yes, the self-care practice pre-baby, the hour-long rituals are not going to happen, especially straight away. So I love that your self-care started with just simply internally forgiving yourself and thinking nice, kind thoughts about yourself. And I want to encourage everyone to just start small to start with the internal. Then you went to a three-minute meditation and then I'm sure it went to a bit longer. And then maybe eventually down the track, you had a bath for yourself or, or something like that. And that's literally what 
the past six and a half months have been like for me. It's been just, okay, I'll just have a bath and I'll just do a two minute meditation. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. And you can start to inject more self-care rituals into your day as the time goes on. And that's what I've done. And I want to encourage everyone to start internally with how you think about yourself, because you said this before about feeling like a failure and the guilt. I want to talk about failure and guilt because they are two feelings that I had not felt a lot of before in my life. I had not felt like a failure in my work. I had not really experienced a lot of guilt. And then I became a mum. (laughs) (laughs) And I have cried, especially in the early days, on the floor to Nick going, I feel like a failure. I've, and he's like, honey, you are far from a failure. And I would say to him, I just feel like I cannot get rid of this guilt within me. And what I came to kind of believe within myself is that when we go through matrescence, because our brain is getting a shakeup and a rewiring it's almost like all of the closets that your inner mean girl, I call, you know, your inner critic, all of those little holes that she was hiding in, she comes out because your brain is getting a shakeup. So she comes out in full force and she tells you that you're not a good mom and she gives you the guilt. And by the way, you know, Nick and I don't even use the word guilt anymore. We say the G's. And we're like, I'll say to him, babe, I've got the G's hard. And he's like, oh, what have you got the G's about? And I'm like, well, you know, this and this. And then he's like, okay, let's turn that G into gratitude. He's like, let's flip it. So we'll, you know, list off a couple of things that we're grateful for or something like that. So we want to really be mindful as well for our children to become aware of using the word guilt and failure. And I wanted to get your perspective on your thoughts around when our brain has this shakeup. Do you feel like the inner mean girl's coming out in full force? Oh, absolutely. I call it the inner mean mama. So very similar terminology. Absolutely. And can I just say, first of all, after having heard thousands of mums feel bad about the way that they are doing this for so many years, I actually really want to say thank you for sharing your story about how much guilt and how many tears there have been over the last six months. Because no matter what, no matter how many times we say all mothers experience this, we still assume that, for example, someone like you who writes bloody books about the inner critic would never experience the mother critic because it's, again, we are so programmed to compare ourselves and think others are doing better. So I just really want to say on behalf of the thousands of mums who I've heard over the years, thank you for being so honest, because this is what we need to do more of. It doesn't matter whether you are Melissa Ambrosini or Melissa Jones down the road, motherhood brings this stuff up. And yes, There is a neurological and biological reason why that happens. We are pushed to the limit more than we ever have in any other time in our life. We are exhausted. Our hormones are changing. Everything is changing. All of that. And that does open the door to all of those tiny rooms, as you beautifully describe it, where all of the dark parts are hidden. You know how many women have said to me, I never even knew I could be angry before motherhood came along. I didn't even know that voice was in me. I had, you know, it brings all of this up into the light to be healed so the next generation is better than us. That's what I believe. 
I'd love to bring in one other concept around this though, and this is part of what I do in Mama Rising. For a decade, I was trying to heal my inner mean mama. I was incredibly hard on myself, thought I was not doing a good enough job. And really all of this began as a way of me trying to forgive myself. And I would do the affirmations and I would do all of the things. And, and you know, it worked to a certain extent, but it was kind of like a Band-Aid over a gaping wound. It wasn't changing my true belief of myself. I'd say you're the best mum you can be. You've done a good job today. All of those things. But underneath, I didn't really believe it. Until again, in my research, I began to understand something called the maternal mandate. And the maternal mandate is a term to describe the assumption of our culture that because you were born female, you are going to want to be a mother. You will find it easy and natural. You will love every moment of it and you will happily self-sacrifice to it. Now we all laugh, but actually this is the assumption we grow up in. The maternal mandate was meant to have been broken in the 70s when the feminist movement said, no, you have a choice. You don't have to be a mother. Even if you want to be a mother, you don't have to breastfeed. You don't have to do that. You can do it any way you want. That was what was meant to have happened, but actually scratched the surface of pretty much every female on the planet. And there is still a core belief inside of them that their body was made to do this. We should know how to do it. It should be something we all want to do. And once we've done it once, we want to do it again. You know, that's the next thing. Once you've had one baby, the next question is, when will you have the next? You know, once you're married, when will you have a baby? There's these assumptions that come with being female that tells us right from when we're little that you should know how to do this. It's natural. Trust your instincts. Trust your intuition. Dana Raphael, who is the anthropologist who termed matrescence back in the 70s, said, and I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of, becoming a mother is not something that happens as soon as you give birth. It is something that needs to be learnt. And so when we are in the throes of those early days of motherhood and we feel like we're getting it wrong, the reason why that's there is because in some core level, we think there is a right. We think we should know how to do this. It's our baby. I'm the mother. Why is this so hard? No, it is hard trying to understand your baby's personalities, trying to decipher those cries, trying to do it on three hours sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks on end is freaking hard. But our culture has told us that because we are born female, we should love it, find it naturally, fall pregnant very easily, give birth naturally, breastfeed easily and love every minute of it. And it is not true. It is not true. And never complain about it and never complain about it and then want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) And that was mind-blowing for me. It actually, Melissa, it was the turning point of actually finally forgiving myself and being kind to myself. So when I talked about self-care being this level of self-compassion, it wasn't about these affirmations of forgiveness. It was understanding the cultural story I was carrying within me about who I should be. And realizing that no one has that. It's not true. It's a lie. And I get to choose differently. 
I get to see motherhood as this experience that my kids and I are figuring out together and I'm doing the best I can. And the greatest thing I can do as a mother is learn how to forgive myself and look after myself and love who I am and who I'm becoming. That stopped the guilt. And what a beautiful example for your children to witness. You know what I mean? Like I think about Bambi and would I want her to beat herself up as much as I've beaten myself up in moments? Would I want her to feel the guilt or the fear? And the answer is no. So I have to embody forgiveness and self-compassion and kindness because if I don't do it now, then that's what she will pick up on and that is what she will learn. So I need to embody this now. And you spoke before about this right or wrong. And I want to talk about that because I found personally for me that whenever I have this black or white, right or wrong, this is the right way to parent, this is the right way to do business, this is the right way to be in a relationship, to be a friend, and this is wrong. Whenever I have that black or white, right or wrong thinking, that's when suffering exists within me. And as soon as you can let go of this right and wrong and just show up in the moment as the best version of yourself present, that's all that we can ask for. That is all that we can do. That's all that we can ask for. As long as I'm doing that, then I can go to bed at night and go, Mama, you did a great job. Pat myself on the back. I love you. You did an awesome job. Did you maybe fall up over there? Yeah, who cares? But you showed up in all these other areas. And I think our brains are sometimes wired to remember the one slip up. But have you written down the 95 other amazing high five moments from that day? And I talk about this in comparisonitis in the parenting chapter. I talk about comparing blueberries to bananas and we sometimes just list all of these things where we failed, well, we think we failed that day, but we forget about all of the amazing things, all of the wins, all of the high fives. And I want to encourage everyone, and I'm speaking to myself here, (laughs) to get into bed every night and list all of the high five moments. Don't stew over that one thing that you could have done better. Forgive yourself, let go, move on. And then list all of the amazing moments. Talk to your partner about it or write it in your journal and go to bed knowing that, Mama, you did a freaking incredible job because being a mama is not a walk in the park. It's not. It's not for the faint-hearted. It is for the big-hearted. Oh, it really is. And the hardest, well, I was going to say the hardest part of it, but actually there are so many, so many, so we can't rank them. But one of the biggest challenges for women as mothers in this day and age is that we are so used to having productive outcomes for what we are doing each day. You know, there's an end game, even if it's just get to Friday. <laughs> there's something that you're working towards. You're you're moving towards a conclusion, a successful outcome. And that's never, ever going to be motherhood because as soon as one thing's done, the next done, and most of them are invisible. They're not acknowledged by the community, sometimes even by our partners and especially not our kids. And so you have to become the person who celebrates all of the small things you do. You have to become the one who focuses in on the success today, even if it is 
I read that story to my child seven times today because he is obsessed with it. You know, celebrate that. I've said to women in the past, a lot of us are given these mother's groups in those first few months of of, um, becoming a mother. And without being even aware of it, a lot of those groups can come become a bit of a one-upmanship on how bad things are. And again, we want a space to be able to be honest. I think it's important not to to hide the struggles, but to be very mindful that we're not just turning this into a how little sleep we got last night, etc. And so I've suggested to some mummers before that, you know, suggest to your group of mums that you all text each other at the end of every day three things you're proud of and create this space and this culture in your immediate circle of starting to cheer each other on. Like today, I managed to get, you know, I remember the first time I got all three kids to sleep at the same time during the day. I thought I could run for president. I was like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe what I've just done. All three of them asleep at the same time. I think it lasted 25 minutes. But in those 25 minutes, <laughs> I was like, woo, woo. Now, no one else outside of my little world will even understand the significance of what that was. But you have to have a place space. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's your mother's group. Maybe it's your mum, someone to just say, guess what I just did? Because we mother behind closed doors now. We mother in a vacuum We're so often doing this on our own, invisibly, and that is toxic to our mental health if we're not careful. We need a space where we can be proud, where we can sing our achievements, even if the achievements was, I survived today. You know, we have to create that culture of celebrating the wins rather than focusing on how hard it is. What a beautiful idea. I have a mother's group, which I just love these women so much. There's seven of us in this group and we have a group message and we are messaging all day, every day about what car seat do you guys recommend? Like random things, but also deeper things. Mm -hmm. But it just reminded me that why not check in with them at the end of the evening and just say, hey, mamas, What is one, two, or three things that you are super proud of? So you have inspired me, honey. I'm going to definitely do that. What a beautiful thing to do. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, again, the neuroscience shows us that we get more of what we focus on. We see more of what we focus on. I remember you probably would remember this too, you know, when you're deciding on which pram to buy. And then suddenly the prams are everywhere. It's like your brain goes, oh my God, I I never even see these prams or a car or something. And then suddenly I'm looking at buying a new car and now they're everywhere, the car that I wanted. I've never noticed them before. Literally in TV ads, I was watching a movie the other day. I'm like, oh my God, there's that car again. That's because our brain, there's a part of our brain that searches out evidence to prove us correct. So if you start searching out evidence of the fact you're doing a great job as a mum, then your brain will seek those examples out all day. And before you know it, you will feel like you just see these ways that you're doing a good job all day, every day. So yeah, we're wired to support this practice. I love that. And we're designed to have support. This is really important. Like we don't have to go through matrescence on our own. I created my own mum's group because 
I was like, well, I had a home birth. You know, I know a lot of hospitals put you together in mums groups in your community. And I had a home birth, so I knew that wasn't going to happen. So I created a mums group. And it is so important that we have a tribe, a village, a community to lean on, to say, hey, what do you think about this? Or I'm really struggling with this. It's really important. So anyone who is listening who feels like they are alone, know that you're not. And there are other mamas out there that want to connect with you, that want to support you. You just have to look. You just literally have to reach out and look because they are there waiting for you because they want to be supported by you and they want to support you. 100%. And I not only created my own mother's group for my third child, because by the time you have your third child, the hospital's like, you're good. You don't need anything. (laughs) So I created my own for my third. But also, Melissa, to be honest, I kind of created my business for that reason. Like all those years ago, when I first started coaching and gathering women together online more than nine years ago now, it was pretty much because I needed it. I wanted a group of women to talk about this. I wanted to say, how are you feeling? How are you balancing your relationships? Do you want to get up tomorrow morning and meditate with me? And a decade later, I'm still doing that. We gather together at 6.30 on Monday mornings. We do it. You know, that's where this was born for me is that I was just so lost within myself. I loved motherhood, but I lost myself in who I was and what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And I was on this path, this seeking path of tell me where the answers are. Tell me I'm not alone. Do this with me. And that's how it began. And I know a lot of us are isolated from the people we want to be with. And we think online is a second best. I actually think we can find our people in these places. So for anyone who's listening, who thinks I don't have any of my friends around, I don't connect with anybody anymore because little side note, part of matrescence is you may struggle in your friendships. You may feel like no one feels the same anymore. I can't connect with them, especially if they're not at the same stage of motherhood. Go online, find them in a meditation group, find them in a yoga community, find them in Melissa's community, find them in mine, find them in somewhere it still is so beautiful to know you have women you're walking this path with. Absolutely. I have met so many of my best friends online. Me too. It's an amazing way to meet people. So do not rule that out. Do not rule that out. It's an amazing way to connect with people. I have another question for you. Is having the awareness around matrescence enough to prepare us or is there other ways that we can prepare? The answer is yes and yes. (laughs) I do believe that if we give women an understanding of matrescence before they give birth, so either early pregnancy or before they even conceive, it can make a profound difference to how they experience the transition into motherhood. I would love to share a story with you. With one of the first women who did my training, she was only just pregnant when she began and she hadn't been a mother before, so hadn't given birth yet. And up until that point, everybody who had done my training had already become a mother. So we, she was our little guinea pig in a way. Uh, love you, Ash, if you're listening. 
And she really went through it as for herself, but eventually to share with clients and mummers. And she really was this beautiful insight into what happens when we really look at things like the maternal mandate. So, you know, what am I assuming will be easy for me? What assumptions am I making about myself in motherhood? When I think about the good mother, being a good mother, what are the assumptions I already carry within me and how do I want to redefine them? All of these questions. And then she gave birth and became a mama and experienced postnatal anxiety quite significantly. Now, the first reaction may be, oh, well, we didn't prevent that. She's still got postnatal anxiety, so maybe it doesn't make any difference. But actually, when I spoke to her a lot after the birth and through that experience, she never thought her postnatal anxiety was anything wrong with her. Because she knew it was part of her identity shift, because she knew this is part of me figuring out who I am now, because she had no judgment, there was no shame, there was no fear around it. She just knew that this is part of her becoming a mother and she got help quickly. She surrounded herself with the right people. She softened into it. She let it be what it was and just moved through it. She says it completely changed that experience. So when we talk about the power of matrescence, I do believe it has the potential in many cases to, I would never say prevent postnatal anxiety or depression, but certainly I think it would have an impact on the statistics because we would stop misdiagnosing it and instead understand that it's part of this transition. Some will need support for postnatal depression by all means, but there are a great deal that would not. Do you know how many women have said to me who had postnatal depression and now are doing the work around matrescence and actually say, I'm not sure I had it anymore. I think I was just struggling with adjusting. And so I do think that there is a gift in talking to a woman about who she is and how she will change and what is coming that will allow her to move through that in a better and more supported way. And we can still do so much more as well. (laughs) There is still also so many other things she needs, but I do think matrescence has the power to transform the experience of motherhood. I can hear everyone listening just do a big exhale. And it's not even like you're struggling with it. You're just adjusting. There's no struggle. There's nothing wrong with you. Like you're just adjusting. You know, and we need to, I talk about this all the time, this idea of perfection, the perfect mama, the perfect friend, the perfect wife, the perfect partner, delete that word from your head. And I don't know if you are like this too, but being a pitta, a type A overachiever, that idea of perfect in my work sense has really propelled me to succeed and to birth a lot of things into the world. So it's a strength of mine and it's also a constraint. And my therapist says to me, delete that word, Melissa. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And we need to, as women or men, everyone, we need to delete that word perfection and come back to what we were saying before, just show up as the best you can in each moment, present in your body, not in your head, in your body, in your heart, that is you doing the best job that you can do. 100%. And I do not think in my life 
there has been a better catalyst to learn this than motherhood. It forces me to think differently on a daily basis. My old programming pattern of the A-type personality who just works harder or researches more or does a better job and gets up earlier the next day to do even more doesn't work in motherhood. It doesn't work. My kids don't need that. It actually makes me worse. And as someone who is now parenting a 14-year-old in this world, I can say the next generation will not tolerate us burning out, trying to be perfect, treating the planet the way we are, they will not tolerate and they have a voice and they are feisty. And I'm sure you already feel this with your daughter. This generation, we as their parents have got to clean our shit up. Excuse, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear in this podcast. We have to clean up our stories We have to look after ourselves. We have to show them that that old way of living and success and achievement at the expense of all else won't work. We have to do it for them. So this is our job. That's what a definition of a good mother and a good father is, is looking at ourselves, cleaning out that old programming, showing up the best we can because that's what they most need from us. Absolutely. And I've had a few people reach out to me who have maybe a one-year-old or just kids in general. I've had lots of people reach out to me and say that they are so concerned about the state of the world for their children. What is this going to look like for my children? How is this going to unfold for my children? And there's so much stress and fear and worry and anxiety about the future for their children. And I just want to throw something out there. Our children have chosen to come at this time knowing the state of the world because they have the skills. I've got full body goosebumps. They have the intelligence, the skills, and what it takes to make this place better. So we don't need to waste time and energy feeling sorry for our children or worried about them or stressed or concerned. That is a waste of our time and our energy. We need to trust that these game changers, these little game changers chose to come at this time and they are going to make an impact. And you're right, they will not stand for the way that we have done things, especially with how we've treated this earth. They will not stand for that and the way that things are run. They won't stand for it. And they will call their parents to rise. They will call us to rise. There's no resting on your laurels. There's no getting complacent and not growing and evolving. If you as a parent are not growing and evolving and improving constantly, our kids will call us out and they will zoom on past us. It will be left behind if we don't do the work on ourselves and continuously show up for ourselves and for them. Absolutely. And I believe that is the greatest opportunity of becoming a parent and why I call my work Mama Rising because I honestly feel that if we used this opportunity of matrescence, meaning this new identity, this new birthing, this time in our life where we get to look at our whole life and think, that doesn't work for me, that person doesn't make me feel good, I know I don't want that in my life anymore. This is the impact I want to have for the planet. This is what 
this experience is about. This is what matrescence is about. If we understood it, knew the word and understood it, and then empowered each other to answer those questions, then we will rise and the voices of the mothers will speak. This is the power of it. And then we will prepare the stage for this next generation. And as I said, as a mother of teenagers at the moment, they are feeling every single thing, everything. And we have to get this right. We have to do better. And instead of worrying about the small parts of mothering, instead look at who am I becoming and focus on that, then that's how we rise. Mm. Yes, sister. Yes. Yeah. I'd love to hear what is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? Because everyone has a different definition. I'd love to hear yours and what do you attribute it to? I love this question because redefining success has been at the core of my life. When I went into early labor with my third child at just 28 weeks, trying to keep up with the success of my life, I was the senior producer for the ABC here in Sydney. It was the middle of the election. I was getting up at 3.30 every morning, five days a week. My eldest was six by then and I never saw her have breakfast. I never saw her wake up in the morning. I was always at work before she woke for most of her six years, you know, but on the outside, I was a success. Everybody, again, it still catches in my throat. Everybody would say, I don't know how you do it, Amy. You know, it was this pinnacle, I'd made it. I was at the top of the ladder here in Sydney. I had two little girls. We were living in this amazing house, doing all these amazing things, getting invited to all of the premieres, you know, writing for magazines, interviewing people like Melissa Ambrosini, like doing all of the things. And yet within me, not only was I putting my unborn baby at risk, but also I was just so stressed. I yelled every day. I never saw my husband. I was so tired at the end of every day. I couldn't read stories to my girls. It just was awful. And yet that was my definition of success because on my resume and on my blog, it looked successful. So I have completely redefined success now. And success for me now is a divine feminine definition of success, which is that there is enough support and structure around me that doesn't come from me, but from the universe and from my team and from my friends and from my partner and from my family that allows me to feel like I'm not doing it on my own that I am fully supported so that when I need to rest, I can rest. So when I need to be a mama, which I really have needed to be a mama over the last few months to support my daughter, when I've needed to step back, the structure, the support, everything is still there. For most of my life, I have felt I needed to carry it all. And if it wasn't up to me, it wouldn't get done. If I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. And I have worked really hard to undo that and to start seeing that I am supported in so many other ways. So when I'm energized and ready to go, I'm all in my work. But when I need to step back, I can. And the support is there. That's success. Mm, Beautiful. 
What's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? I might actually cry to see my eldest daughter thriving again. Yeah. Lockdown in Sydney has been incredibly, lockdown around the world has been an incredible stress on our teenagers to remove them from their social life, to take them out of what they need in adolescence, which is connection with each other, and to isolate them in their rooms for months on end. My daughter is not the only one around the world who has struggled with mental health and really struggled intensely with this last period. And to see her begin to find her spark again and to rise up out of some of the hardest challenges I've seen anyone go through, ah, there's nothing more joyful than seeing her like that. Oh, that's so beautiful. So beautiful. I'm so happy for her. We're getting there. And again, it just, Melissa, if I hadn't done all of the work on myself over all these years, if I didn't have my toolkit, if I didn't know how to soften that mother guilt, if I hadn't done all of this, I don't know how I would have been able to hold it for her over the last few months. So again, whether our kids are 14 weeks or 14 years old, we can't do it for them. We just have to keep looking after ourselves so we can be with them in these challenging times, whether it's colic or adolescence, it needs us to be okay within ourselves. So another great lesson for me around that. Yeah, we're their support, we're their rock. So we need to make sure that we're full so that we can hold space for them. Absolutely. And there's been times in my life where I felt that was really heavy. Like, oh, I'm the rock for these three people and I'm the one that has to be able to hold this. And if I'm depleted, to be completely honest, that can feel quite resentful. I can be like, oh, how am I meant to do this? And I know a lot of mamas feel that way when it is on us, but it is our superpower. It is what we can do if we understand it and know how to do it for ourselves first instead of just giving it all to them. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. What are you working on within yourself at the moment? I am working on forgiving myself for not being as productive as I would like to be. Still, 10 years later, I'm still learning that lesson. (laughs) Again, because this year has presented so many unexpected challenges and I am really okay within myself to focus on what needs to be done for my family. I've really had to do that over the last 12 months. But there is still the good girl, successful woman definition in me who says, yeah, but Amy, you could have done this by now and your podcast be doing this and you should have written that other book by now and you should have done this and you should have done that. And it's a lot more quiet than it used to be, but it is still a daily practice for me to balance those two parts of myself, the part that wants to give it all away and just make sure my kids and my health are okay. And the part of me that knows she has so much more she wants to do in this world. And it's a daily dance every day. Mm, I have a note in my note section of my phone of all of the ideas that I have had since giving birth, the next book that I want to write, all these different things. And 
I'm okay with parking them there for now because I'm in this phase of my life. So I want to encourage anyone listening, you know, if you have that same tendency that Amy is explaining, create a little list of all of the things that you want to do and know that you don't actually have to achieve them all this year. (laughs) Yeah. We don't have to. You don't have to. Many years ago, I worked with a phenomenal woman in America called Deborah Poneman, and she shared this story, I'll tell you very quickly, with me. She used to be, well, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Phenomenal success in America about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. She was training people like Deepak Chopra before they were successful. Phenomenal success on stages around the world, was in the final negotiation for her own TV show, like Phil Donovan and all of those back then. And then she became a mama. And she tells this story that she was in the hospital room, having given birth to her first daughter, her first child. And her manager rang and said, Deborah, we need you in Singapore in two weeks to close this deal on this international deal we're doing. And she said, you'll have to tell them to call me back in 16 years. And she stepped away from all of it. All of it. Wow. She completely said no to the TV deal, stopped all of the seminars she was running, and for 20 years stayed at home with her two children. And she tells a story that she'd turn the TV on when she was at home with their kids in diapers and they'd be crawling around on the ground and she'd turn the TV on and there would be her students talking to Oprah. And she would have to sit there and be like, that's okay, this is where I need to be. That's okay, this is where I need to be. My time will come. And eventually her children grew up and she left and she wrote a new book and was back at the top of New York Times bestsellers again 20 years later. And when she was coaching me, when I was going through this as well, she said, Amy, your dharma will wait for you. And the tears that that has brought for myself and for all the women I've shared it with has been so profound because it will wait. We do get to press pause and be where we need to be. We can say, that's all right. He can be on Oprah. I'm here. It will come. It will come. My dharma will wait for me. And that is still, as I said, a daily reminder that yes, it can be there. Right now, she needs me, but it will be there. Mm, I love that so much. Your dharma will wait for you. I love that. Oh, and I can just hear a sigh of relief for all the mamas out there that have all of these dreams and goals and projects that they want to launch into the world. But mama, your dharma will wait for you. Yeah, I love that too. I feel like I have to write a book with that title or something. Mm. It's such a good line. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. And speaking of books, let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book, which I absolutely loved, by the way, Mama Rising, it's so beautiful and I'll link to it in the show notes. What is one other book you would choose? And it doesn't have to be on matrescence. It could be any topic, but just one book that would go in the curriculum all around the world. The book that changed my life completely and I feel could really change the way we look at how our teenagers are supported through transition in life is Circle of Stones by Judith Jurek. The book starts with something like, imagine what your world would be like 
Imagine how your life would be if you had a place of women for women to learn the ways of women. And the whole book is just the passing down of knowledge, of talking about the main seasons and cycles of life, birth, death, how to see your life in terms of the seasons and the cycles, of the fact that we shouldn't be doing this alone, that we should be learning from our mothers and our grandmothers and our aunts and our sisters. And it just really showed me what we were missing and how isolated we had all become. And I think if we could initiate our teenagers differently into adulthood, if we could have men's circles and women's circles, although speak to my 14-year-old and she'd just tell me off for gendering that whole conversation. So we would have circles of initiation into adulthood. I think we would be preparing them in a whole new way, in a very different way for life and for adulthood. So yeah, that book has changed my life. There needs to be some sort of celebration. Absolutely. And I'll link to that book as well. That sounds really beautiful. But just on that, I definitely feel like we need to celebrate more. We need to celebrate more everything, anything and everything. Celebrate everything. And we need to have a celebration for that very pivotal moment in their life where they're going from child and they're going through adolescence and going into adulthood. One of my friends, I saw on her Instagram, she was hosting this beautiful event on the beach. No, it wasn't an event. It was think on the beach, beautiful Moroccan rugs and cushions and all these women sitting around and there was smudge sticks and this beautiful box and there was all of these women, older women, like mother's age. And then there was one 14-year-old girl. And I said to her, I said, babe, what were you doing this morning? Like, what was that? And she said, oh, it was a beautiful adolescent coming out, I guess, for this gorgeous little girl. And she told me, I said, what did you guys do? And she said, we started with a meditation and we did like a saging. And the mother had got all of her aunties and all of the women in her life and all of her friends to write beautiful words of wisdom on these pieces of paper. And she'd given her the box of all of this advice and wisdom. And it was just so beautiful. They did angel card readings and the girl sat in the middle and all of the aunties and the mother and the grandmother all sat around her. I've got full goosebumps. And they all just held her and made her feel like she was supported and told her that we're here for you and we've got you. And my mind was blown. And I thought, why does everyone not get this? That the, and this was all initiated from her getting her period. So the daughter got her period and then the mother organized this beautiful event for her. And I just thought, why are we all not having this experience? And why is it not celebrated more? We need to celebrate everything, every birthday, every milestone, everything, every day, just celebrate because we don't know how long we're here for. We do not know what is in store for us. So celebrate and especially celebrate those big, beautiful milestones like adolescence. Adolescence and matrescence. And I remember many years ago, I interviewed Caroline Mace for a magazine and she said to me at the time, Amy, without initiations, without cultural initiations, teenagers will initiate themselves. And that is what we see. 
we see them initiating each other with alcohol, with partying, with self-harming, with the way they dress, with rebelling against sex, because human beings need to mark changes in their life. It is a natural thing. It is a natural behavior. We know something has changed. We want to do something to mark it. And we will initiate ourselves if there is no official initiation around us. Whoa. I know. I've never forgot. Listening, Mm -hmm. if we don't initiate them ourselves, they will do it. And I was thinking my initiation was getting blind drunk. Me too. (laughs) Me too. And taking drugs and doing all of it. Oh, absolutely. And the culture is even more confronting now with the way that they're initiating each other. So, you know, going back to your beautiful question about what we would put in high schools, we need to do this for boys. My goodness, do we need to do this for our boys and our girls because otherwise they will be doing it for themselves. Mm, Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for that beautiful reminder. Thank you. Okay, we've got a couple more questions for you. I would love to hear now how your day looks now that you have three beautiful children. What are your rituals? What's your morning routine? How do you take care of yourself? And can you kind of talk us through a typical day in your life? I know no two days are ever the same, but a typical day. Yes, this has changed a lot lately. At the end of last year, my husband and I separated. So I am on my own now with the three kids. So I've had to become, as anyone who's parenting on their own will know, you have to become military precision to get this to work. So thank goodness I was completely cemented in a morning routine before all this happened. Having done morning radio, breakfast radio for so many years, I am a full morning person. So I easily and happily wake up at five every morning, which I love because it is that space before the kids wake because my children are so much older they I go to bed with them at night now I don't get any adult time at night I remember when they were babies and they'd all be asleep by seven and then you'd have those couple of hours in the evening to yourself well now my daughter wants to be awake longer than I do during the week so I have to carve out that time first thing in the morning so I'm up at five I do a morning meditation practice. I am a huge student of Abraham Hicks. I listen every single morning and have done for many, many years. And then I write in my journal. A couple of mornings a week, I go to boot camp around the corner in the park. Thank goodness to COVID, I cancelled my gym membership and will never be back inside running on a treadmill ever again. So I do that a couple of mornings a week or I go for a run or I do some yoga. I try and move every day. It's really good for my headspace, really good for my focus. And then I start waking all my kids up at around seven, quarter to seven and get them all ready. They're all dropped off or on the bus by nine, I come home and I have that second breakfast, which is usually because I've been up since five. I have something warm to eat, eggs and things like that. Then I work from home. Although I have just booked a co-work space here in Sydney after having been in lockdown for so long, I really need to be out of my home. So sometimes I go into an office in the city, but most of my day is made up around coaching, training, podcast interviews, writing, meetings with my team. I do that four days a week. I try and have every Tuesday off just for myself. Then by three o'clock, I'm picking them all up again. My eldest catches a bus home. 
then it's just the usual mama afternoon, you know, play dates and swimming lessons and soccer and dinner. I am not a good cook and I do not enjoy cooking. It is not my thing. And it's taken me 14 years of motherhood to own that. So I have a lot of home delivered food, different companies, different organic, vegan meal delivery services, et cetera. Once I became a solo parent, I just acknowledged that that's one part of motherhood I'm not going to be able to manage on my own. So I get a lot of help with meals and my children are incredibly grateful because they are not big fans of mummy's cooking either. (laughs) So um, everyone's happy with that decision. And then we hang out at night. We have a great bond, my kids and I. We've been through a lot over the last 12 months. So I absolutely adore my evenings with them. My middle child, who's nearly 12, and I um, watch an episode of Gilmore Girls together every night. It's our little bonding, just the two of us. It's very special. And then we're all asleep by about, oh, I want to have us all asleep by nine, but it's usually by the time, you know, everyone's cleaned their teeth and da 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 It's about 9.30 and we're all sound asleep. And that's my day. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So lovely. Okay, I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Breathe. Mm. (sighs) Thank you for the (laughs) reminder. What is one thing we can do for our wealth so more abundance in all areas of our life? Trust that money can come to you even when you're not perfect. It's been a huge lesson for me. There was attachment to thinking that money only came if I showed up perfectly and worked a certain amount of hours and did a certain amount of things. And when I let that go, I allowed money to come in even when I wasn't doing any of that. Mm, Yes, beautiful reminder. And the last one, what is one thing we can do for more love in our life? Love yourself. I know that sounds cliched, but really it's the truth with a capital T. You've got to give it to yourself first. Mm -hmm. 100%. Amy, this has been so beautiful. I would love to keep talking for another five hours, but is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't spoken about yet? Not really. I just wanted to perhaps add that the number one comment I get over and over again is, I wish I'd known about this earlier with matrescence. And that often is tinged with a bit of sadness that if I had known this, it would have been different. And I really acknowledge that I felt the same. There were a lot of tears when I first heard it and began my study into it thinking, if I'd known this, how different it could have been. So if anyone has heard this interview and feels that within themselves, know that the grieving and then the healing and the rising through matrescence can happen at any stage of motherhood. I've had students who do it with 28-year-old children. So no matter where you are, there's an opportunity here for you to use matrescence as a chance to really look within, let go of who you used to be and who you think you need to be and choose who you want to be now. Mm, Yes, beautiful, beautiful. And please forward this interview on to anyone who you think it would serve and support. And Amy, I just want to say the work that you're doing is so important. It's so important. You're helping so many women and men. You're serving so many people. How can we give back to you today? How can we serve you today? What a beautiful thing to ask. 
I would love for you to whisper the wisdom of matrescence to every single person that you hear and speak to and meet. I believe that this word has the power to change the world. Because if we support and understand mothers differently, then I think, as I said before, we could empower these mothers to speak up and change the world. So yes, if everyone could start talking about matrescence, then I know that this work could change the world. Imagine if it became a term that every single household knew. Because if I asked my dad, do you know what matrescence is? He would say no. If I asked my brother, he would say no. If I asked my sister and my mom, possibly, they would say no. But imagine, like think of it, you know how meditation is so mainstream now. Everyone knows meditation. Everyone knows how to like close their eyes and breathe deeply. Imagine if matrescence became the next meditation, you know? How amazing would that be? Absolutely. But Melissa, ask obstetricians and they don't know what it is. This is the thing. We have so much work to do to change the way we view women in motherhood. And it will be a groundswell. It will start with mothers talking about this and then the higher up will have to listen. So that's why, you know, if anyone could do anything, it is spread this far and wide, forward this podcast. If you know anyone who is considering parenthood, get them to Google it. Like start talking about this is important. Absolutely. And you're doing such an amazing job championing this message and spreading it. So thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, my beautiful friend. I love having you in my life. I love your work. I love your book. Thank you for being who you are and for sharing so openly and honestly today. I adore you. Thank you, beautiful. It's a dream come true to have this conversation with you. Thanks. I loved this conversation so much and really do wish that this word matrescence becomes mainstream. So please spread it far and wide, talk about it in your family, and let's share the importance of this transition for us. And if you loved this conversation, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all my episodes will pop up in your feed so you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Please come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got out of this episode. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Don't forget to head to comparisonitis.com to get your copy of my latest book and all the free goodies that go with it. I cannot wait for you to read it and to hear what you think.